0: Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa and I'm here to share an incredible work with you. Just a quick reminder before we get started. All sources and images will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find the link in the episode description as well as on our Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Today's episode is all about the Stele of Hammurabi. This giant stone slab was created around 4,000 years ago. Not only does it feature a relief image of a king and a god, but it is the longest inscribed text that survives from this period in history. This text describes nearly 300 laws from Babylon. For art historians, this stele not only tells us about the artistic traditions of the ancient Near East, but also contains some valuable information about the political and legal system at the time. Today, the Stele of Hammurabi can be viewed at the Louvre, but don't worry. If you can't get there, I've got images and sources linked on the accessible art history blog. The link for the blog is in the episode description. Before we dive into the Stele of Hammurabi, it's important to go over some background information. First, we're going to talk about what a stele actually is. To put it simply, it's an upright stone or rarely a wooden plank that serves any number of purposes. Throughout history, steles have been used as funerary headstones, boundary markers, battle memorial markers, or, like in the case of the stele of Hammurabi, a proclamation. Essentially, steles are like ancient versions of billboards. They are invaluable as archaeological objects because they can tell us a lot about the way societies functioned long ago. Now that we've gone over what steles are, it's time to talk about the main man himself, King Hammurabi. He was the king of Babylon from around 1792 to 1750 BCE. Besides the code, Hammurabi is most famous for his military conquest. During his reign, Assyria was conquered and brought under Babylonian rule. This meant that nearly all of Mesopotamia was in his control. Due to both his political and military might, Hammurabi was seen as a god during his own lifetime and worship continued even after his death. In fact, he was so popular that records from the period after his death show a spike in babies being named after him. Even in the modern era, Hammurabi is considered to be an incredibly important figure. Because of the codes written on his stele, he is seen as one of the first lawmakers in history. In fact, both the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Supreme Court have relief sculptures of him in their buildings. Our last bit of background information is all about the discovery of the Stele of Hammurabi. It was found in 1901 on an archaeological dig in Susa. During this time, archaeology was growing in popularity because people wanted to find sites connected to and mentioned in the Bible. Unbeknownst to the archaeologists that discovered the stele, this piece would become the center of controversy. A year after it was found, Frederick de Lich, an ancient Near Eastern scholar, performed an analysis of the law code. He discovered that many of the laws sounded similar, or in some cases, nearly identical to laws found in the Bible. Both cultures even have similar stories of creation and flood epics. This led Delich to create a theory that the Bible gathered its source material, not from God, but from Babylonian and Assyrian sources. He actually presented it to the Kaiser and his wife. It was extremely controversial, especially because this was the conservative early 20th century. The theory did not gain much traction and fizzled out after Delish's death. <laughs> we've established all the background information, it's time to dive into the stele of Hammurabi. The majority of the stone contains 44 columns of text. It is written in Akkadian using cuneiform letters. Cuneiform are wedge-shaped characters and the first instance of writing in human history. This language was easy to understand for all people living under Hammurabi's rule. This equal access to information was important to the king because he believed that this would help bring lawfulness to the land. The text is divided into three sections. The first describes a relief image on the top of the stele. Then, the majority of the text is devoted to the laws themselves. Finally, the end praises Hammurabi as a great king and explains why his reign will be remembered for generations to come. For obvious reasons, the law code is the most important part of the work. It isn't necessarily written like our laws today, but more like legal precedents. First, an action is described, and then its consequences stated. The majority of these laws deal with the two most important aspects of ancient Near Eastern society, agriculture and family. These laws also feature the first written instance of innocence until proven guilty, and it is also one of the first times evidentiary support is mentioned. Despite these legal advancements, it's important to note that the Code of Hammurabi isn't exactly fair. Although an effort was made to allow everyone access to the information, it wasn't beneficial to each class. In Babylonian society, there were three different classes, not including the noble or priestly classes. They were, lowest to highest, slaves, freedmen, and then property owners. According to the Code of Hammurabi, the same crime could have vastly different punishments depending on the perpetrator's social class. For example, if a slave stole something, they could have their hand cut off, but a richer man would only have to pay a fine. As fair as the code tried to be, it still kind of missed the mark. One last fun fact. The Code of Hammurabi is the first time in history the phrase an eye for an eye is recorded. The other part of the stele of Hammurabi is the relief carving. This piece shows two figures facing each other. The man on the right is the god Samash. He was the god of both the sun and justice. The viewer knows he's a god because of his horned crown and his throne. On the bottom of the throne, there are small mounds. These are meant to represent the mountains that Samash would appear on every morning during sunrise. On the other side of the carving, another man is standing. This is King Hammurabi. He wears the traditional headpiece and robes of a Babylonian king. Hammurabi stands ready and waiting to receive a staff and ring from Samash. These are traditional, ancient Near Eastern symbols of kingship and rule. This is a message of propaganda showing that Hammurabi and his laws were divinely inspired. It is also important to note the size of the figures, because Samash is sitting, the two men are right around the same height. In ancient art, across many cultures, this means that they were of the same importance. Obviously, though, when standing, Samash would have been taller. This preserves the distinction between man and God. As mentioned before, steles were used as a way to share information in the age before technology, This particular example is likely one of many that King Hammurabi commissioned to spread his law code across Mesopotamia. By making it both written and illustrated, he ensured that every member of his kingdom would be able to understand and follow the rules. This was his vision for an ideal world, and Hammurabi would do anything to ensure it. The stele also showed Hammurabi as chosen by the gods to rule, bringing even more power to his reign. The Stele of Hammurabi is an important piece for both art history and archaeology. Between the relief carving and law code, it allows us to understand the past and how society functioned. These records have had an impact on the formation of later cultures, and Hammurabi is still remembered as a great ruler in history. Speaking of kings, keep an eye out for our next episode. We're going to talk all about one of the most controversial pharaohs of ancient Egypt, Akhenaten. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out for our next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform.